Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast, the place where we chat about the greatest team in the land, Watford Football Club. Today we'll be building up to the Birmingham City game with Brummie fan and podcast host Kieran Bales. But before that, I'm delighted to welcome back to the show football analyst and Watford fan, Jordan Weimer, to chat all about the Hornets. And Jordan, it's the first time in a while that you've had a chance to come and chat to me about a Watford win. Yeah, I'm a bit of a nil-nil specialist apparently, so it's good to be on here and talk about uh, a victory for a change and a couple of goals, which is a, a, a nice one. So yeah, I think it was, uh, it was good to see that performance and... It might not have been the most pleasing on the eye at times, but the result was good. So, yeah, positive. Yeah, Ivic deployed Pariccia and Dini together yesterday in a front two. And for the most part, albeit mainly in the first half, it, it worked a treat. Yeah, Pariccia's movement was, was pretty good. Uh, he, he occupies some areas of the pitch that uh, other partners for Troy haven't done at times. I think it's important if you're going to play Troy as a, as a, a striker in the front two, you want to have the right sort of movement around him. Um, I think maybe Pritchard gets a little bit mislabeled as a as a target man because of his height, and I think it, when you actually watch him play, he's got a lot more to his game in terms of his uh, movement off the ball and getting into good positions. I thought he uh, thought he improved Troy's game, and I thought he had a, he had a decent game. Just a shame he couldn't actually uh, cap it off with a goal, but I thought it worked pretty well actually. Yeah, I mean, even in as, as early as the third minute, it was a great knockdown from Dini, and Pritchard made the sort of run that strikers know how to make and and forced a good save from the Rotherham goalkeeper actually and it just sort of it made me think oh this is a different style that he's sort of orchestrating here something very different than I don't I don't think I would have seen Pedro make, make a similar run uh, without being disrespectful to Pedro he's got a different striker but the way that Parich is just sort of new to run off of Dini Dini's knockdowns it just it felt like it was almost the, the Dini Vidra partnership in, in some ways although obviously Parich is quite different to Vidra but do you know what I mean? Well, there's something instinctual, isn't there, about them them sort of runs and, and anticipating what your strike partner is going to do, and just just that offensive um, cohesion that you need from from your team is always heightened if you have someone that can play a few a few plays ahead of the game. So, yeah, I think Pereira gives you that. Um, he's maybe not as talented as, as the likes of Jarrod Pedro in terms of raw talent, but he has that instinct to get into those good positions. I think that's something that Pedro has been lacking. Um, by no means, I think that Pedro can't play in that central role um, going forward and in the future. But I think that is still part of his game that he needs to improve on. He's learning. But with Pariccia, you have a bit more of a refined version of that. And it, again, it is instinct. He knows how to anticipate and it really is helpful. Um, I touched on that actually last week, even just talking about his goal against Bournemouth. It's it's a pretty simple goal. It's mostly set up from the from the ball of, uh, of Ismail Assar. But just the, just the run and just the angle of his run and he knows how to position himself on his defender and he just gets in the position in the goal and I think he's he hasn't been amazingly consistent with his finishing but he can he can finish and he's he's, he's a good player in, in the box and if you get the ball to him in, in the right areas he's generally going to be there so that can't be uh that can't be dismissed as, a, as an option going forward even though it does look a bit um look a bit strange and you've got your two center forwards both you know physical presences you don't you kind of don't expect that um Dini Vidra kind of situation but in terms of the runs you, you're getting something similar in in that anticipation mm. and then not long after that moment um another Dini header and this time it was Christian Cabaselli who poked to him now I'm not sure I was expecting Cabaselli to score but it was great work to create the opportunity and uh he couldn't really miss could he no it was a good great flick on and yeah 
you know, he got he got the goal home and it was what we needed. So I think it's good to see um, a goal coming from a set piece. I think there's something that may have been a little bit lacking. Um, Ivic seems pretty meticulous in his coaching for the most part. Um, I do think set pieces is, is something that's let us down offensively a little bit, whether that's because we haven't had the consistent delivery or we haven't actually had the the right amount of uh, work going into it on the training ground. But I, I think we've looked underprepared at times. So it was good to see one come off. And it, it looked to me, I'm not a set piece expert, but it looked to me as if it was rehearsed to, to some capacity. So okay. if if you've got some if you've got some of those in your locker and you can you can work off those then then it's extremely helpful and you've got to be creative and you've got to keep uh, planning ahead but yeah the delivery was good and the execution was there so uh, i think it's promising um maybe indicates that we're spending a little more time on that in that area and i mean as club steward it's an important aspect of your game and if you can add even you know three four five goals a season that can change the complexion of your year so it's a positive one and it's good for cabaset to score of course Course, but just the important thing is seeing that um that extra little bit of uh, work going into our offensive plan yeah and sometimes you also need a little bit of luck as well just like any football game and we got that with the second it was a a good bit of fortune really a poor it was well, it was it was a hash wasn't it it was a hash from the reverend defender uh it was a good cross from Fermanier to get it in uh and then Dini was in the right place to slide it home and 2-0 Watford <laughs> Yeah, it was right place at the right time and it worked out. I think you can take some positives from the fact that um, for many was able to get up at that, that that high up the pitch and both fullbacks were able to operate pretty high up, which is something that's maybe a little bit of a risk when you're playing in that 4-4-2. Uh, but we still saw us, so we were trying to be positive and we, we got into those areas and I think it gives us that extra width, especially if you've got uh, Simmer and Saf pushing on. If you can have players outside of them in, as in, in Angakia and for many, then you're going to have more options and it creates them opportunities to get the ball into the box. So you can at least take that away from that goal for many, you got into a good position. It was a decent cross and yeah, ended up going through and Troy Dini finished, but it could uh, it, it, it's going to give you chances if you're going to get your fullbacks into those positions and get consistent balls in. The rest of the first half, there was attempts from Cleverly. Chalabar had an attempt. Dini had another attempt. Uh, and when the whistle came to the end of the first 45, I think most Watford fans were probably saying, yeah, I'll, I'll take that. Pretty happy with that first half. It's a good response. That's what I wanted to see. Yeah, we, we looked we looked more positive. I think the change in shape definitely helped that. We looked like we had the extra kick in our step and we, we were kind of... At times we were struggling, we were a little bit laboured, but we were we were pushing through it and we were kind of continuing with the uh, same mentality and being two two goals up, I think it, it was enough to say that it was an improvement on the last game, certainly. Um, it kind of caught us a little bit closer to where we wanted to be in, in terms of uh, performance, using, say, the Preston game as a bit of a measuring stick. That's kind of what we're going for. Uh, and we kind of got a little bit, a little bit closer towards that, especially in that first half, definitely. The second half, however, was kind of going back to how it was against Cardiff. There were very few attempts. It was very much uh, the, the ball was in Rotherham's possession. They were getting lots of strikes on goal. And, and had they been more clinical, they probably could have equalised the game, maybe even gone on and won it. But uh, fortunately, they didn't manage to you know, do anything with any of their, any of their attempts, really. But it, it was a little bit worrying that Watford was so weak in the second half. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I, I'm not too concerned with it personally. I think uh, you can you can debate whether it's the right thing to do or not. But I think at two 0 up, I think the players were confident enough that they, whether it's subconsciously or they decided to individually, I'm sure. But they took that kind of extra ten percent off foot off the gas a little bit, and I think they kind of just rode that game out a little bit. Um, they played a lot of minutes, especially a few of the players in there have played lots and lots of games. I think there's definitely going to be some, some tired legs in there and everyone's going to be carrying injuries at this point of the season, especially going into a busy period. I think they probably just took their foot off a little bit and allowed it to, to go to that level. Um, I mean, as you say, it could have backfired because Rotherham did involve it did get into the game and they, they had 10 shots. They, they weren't inactive around the area, penalty area. So there weren't no threat at all by any means. So yeah, we, we should have maybe been a little bit more switched on, but I think it's quite natural that you see players kind of fall fall to that level a little bit as, as the game goes on, especially when you've got that 2-0 lead, especially too when it comes so early because you kind of anticipate it, the goals to keep coming even when you're on the pitch. So yeah, I think you can be some, there can be some frustration there. I'm sure the coach would definitely want to address it. I know he has addressed it and, and said to the media that the second half wasn't good enough, not to the, up to the standard. But I think even he'll know too, there's an element of um, of reality that, that comes with the amount of fixtures we have and the players on the pitch. So I'm sure now he's addressed it publicly, he can uh, move on with that. But I think the players are professional enough to understand 
that they they can do that at times and I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if it if it gives us some more longevity in terms of the the players on the pitch so I think it's irritating to watch sometimes because you're kind of expecting that that early performance to continue and you want to see positive signs but I think if you're looking at it pragmatically then you can just accept that second half was a bit slower a bit more laborious and just move on from it really which played a 4-4-2 uh, in that game. He's, he's done that before and, and, it, and it's worked very well. He's also done it before and it's not worked so well. So from watching those games, what, uh, what have we learned about what factors Watford need to make the 4-4-2 work? Well, I think when you're looking at the 4-4-2, the, the thing you look at first is, is the centre forwards, the two strikers in that system. Uh, they're very heavily involved and that's kind of the unique aspect of, of that style of play now, especially with the emergence of the three-man midfield from 20 years ago or so it's kind of stuck around it's very important in, in a lot of team systems it's where that kind of balance comes from so you need to have that work from your from your two forwards and they've got to be they've got to be heavily involved in the attack and they've got to be working in multiple aspects of the pitch that also relies on that two two-man midfield too which has to pick up that slack and we've seen it under Javi Gracia before and you need the players like Capu and Decore that that have that energy and that ability to cover ground and they can always make up for that that one less man so so I think for us it's been a little bit different because a lot of our focus has been from the wings uh, throughout the season, whether it's three at the back or now in four four two. Um Ismail Asara and Ken Semmer have been you know, have been pretty good, especially Semmer and Sars obviously always got that threat. So we're gonna focus on them areas and we're gonna to look to try and get balls in the box. But we've we've done just about enough so far to to show some promise. I think we've got the two central midfielders that we could come back in there with Hughes and Kapu, which I think would ideally be the starters if we were going to be continuing with a 4-4-2. So I think it's just finding that balance now. But um, it does seem a system that can that can suit the personnel available and the team that's pretty comfortable in it. I think we've shown that we can be pretty good off the ball as well as on the ball. And uh, yeah, I think Ivich will probably be quite pleased. Uh, minus the lack of left back, I think he'll still be wanting a little bit more of that. We did see maybe a little a few times last night Kiko cut back inside and he can cross the in, inside with his right foot absolutely fine. As you said earlier, we saw a goal end up coming from that, but just having that balance is maybe a little bit lacking right now. Cool. Jordan, I've been looking at some tweets uh, from Watford fans and, and you know you know how all football fans can, can have very wide scaling uh, opinions on things, but generally you, you tend to find uh, some of the same tweets lingering. And at the minute, some of the tweets I'm seeing are tending to veer towards Ismaili Assar and his performances perhaps being slightly withdrawn maybe like i don't know he's not enjoying his football or or just not playing up to the ability that he that we that we know he has what's, what's your opinion on that and and do you think there's any anything that can actually be taken from it well i think it's clear that sar's not been playing to his best ability um it's the question is why um i think there's lots of different circumstances that can be uh can be playing a part in there and i mean firstly he's He's in a very difficult situation. I mean, every footballer is right now. It's a very strange situation. Um, yeah. They're all handling it differently. I think you can see you can see the difference in, in performance for some players, not just this Manasar. Obviously, we're very Watford-focused, so you're going to see that. But, you know, it affects people differently. He's away from home. He's a young kid. There's lots of factors to, to consider. So that's one. Um, it could be that he's not enjoying his football. Uh, there's potential for that to happen. Uh, it also could just be the fact that he's playing in a very different league. I mean, he's going from a, a season where he was playing in a team that didn't have much of the ball. Often they were pressed up very high on because they're not they're not going to be having that ball and they're often the underdog. So naturally it's going to, it's going to lend itself to a winger that likes to, to knock the ball and run and get in behind. And he's, you know, it's, it's, it suits him very well. He, he, he now at this, at this, this stage of his season, he's going to have to be a different style of player to be effective. He has to be able to take on the ball and he's going to face a fullback and a winger at times. Teams are going to know that he's there and he's, they're going to know that he's one of our better players and they're going to try and negate him. So he's, it's a much different job for him and it's probably harder in, in a lot of aspects. Uh, he's more of a known quantity. So even just from the footballing aspect of that alone, that's that's a difficult thing to overcome. And you could see some stumbling blocks there along the way, regardless of everything else that's going on. Um, so I think we just have to be a bit patient. Um, it's obviously becomes a little bit hard if you if you feel like his head's not in the game and there's lacking effort. Um, there's also the coaching side of things to be to be considered too. We don't know exactly what his instructions are. I wouldn't have thought that he's been told um, 
to you know come inside and stroll at times as he has done when there are opportunities for him to take on his man but we don't know so I think we just have to be a bit patient just see how it pans out but I wouldn't be too overly concerned we've kind of all seen how talented he actually is um, but there's a lot of things that have to go right to see them performances so yeah I think we just have to give it a little bit of time in this 4-4-2 setup, typically he would play in that right midfield role, but he he's a lot more of a, a further forward thinking player than that, isn't he? So does the 4-4-2 suit his game really? Or how how can we use him best within that 4-4-2 system if that's the system that Ivich decides to, to press forward with? Well, I think if we, if we talk about systems, we're talking about formations, we're thinking of, it, thinking of it in a very like rigid sense because we're giving it that, that association to a 4-4-2. But, yeah, I don't do it. <laughs> well, it's, it's easily done. No, it's easily done. And often, oftentimes it's, you know, it can be used like that. But I mean, the left midfield and the right midfielder's roles don't have to be the same. So, I mean, I do think we've got, from what we've seen so far, our, our wide midfielders are, are quite attacking. They do get quite hard to pitch, um, but they've actually got a decent work rate coming back. So you can kind of compensate for it a little bit. Um, but I think Saar has a tendency to to play very wide, which is fine. Um, in a four four two, generally you you want your players, if the ball's the other side of the pitch, you're going to want that, that winger to be quite narrow and come into support because you try and make up for that lack of extra midfielder by bringing those those right and left midfielder back uh, and making things a little bit more solid um so it's a bit of a twist on it uh, i think i think if you're playing Sar, you probably want to play to his strengths um we saw a very different use of the 442 under under javi gracia for example where he had the two the two wide midfielders were very very much so attacking midfielders that would come in centrally and and come into those central areas and try and get some interplay between the forwards and themselves uh, so it's it's polar opposites in terms of how the wingers are used to to Gracia, um, as you can as you can guess. I mean, someone like Perea and and Sema are very different in how they in how they operate, but they're both technically in the same position. Um, so it's it's adaptable. It's something we can change depending on personnel. I mean, we actually saw something a little bit closer to that with Domingos Queen, and when he comes in there, he's, he he plays off the left and he wants to come inside and that on his right foot and I think that does open options up for you we've been guilty of playing in them wide areas and a little bit too much at times perhaps um, and when you do have someone that's kind of comfortable on that right hand side and likes to look at playing the ball in into the edge of the box and, and drifting inside it gives you a few different a few different options and avenues of attack so I think having the, the variation helps a lot um, but Ismail Asar himself I think we're probably going to give him that little bit of extra freedom um, but I think there is more that he could be doing. And I think that he would actually benefit from, at times, being a bit more aggressive in his play, um, attacking the box a little bit more. Um, I know on commentary, Tommy Mooney and stuff has mentioned uh, getting the ball into the box earlier, which I think at times is true. He has a tendency to get to the byline and, and cross a little too late and give that, that defense time to get back in and back into shape. But I think I'd like to see him running at players in the box a little bit more too. I think he could be a bit more aggressive at running towards goal. Um, and maybe just don't isolate, don't isolate himself so much on that right-hand side. Mm. He's also helped out very much by the fact that he has a very good right back behind him too in Jeremy and Gaki. If you're going to play, if you're going to play in a, in a style which is going to put you out of position defensively, then you want to have someone like Ngakia. So I think that's a credit to to the right back behind him as well as uh, Ivic's confidence in in Sar's ability too. Yeah, and and if we can get those two interlinking, then I mean that could be, you know, a really dangerous threat for Watford. Yeah, I mean, Feminier and, uh, and and Ngakia are different in how they attack. Um, Ngakia is very good at carrying the ball, um, making those runs with the ball and kind of getting them overlapping runs, whereas Kiko, is, his delivery is very good and he gets into good positions. He's an intelligent fullback and he, he knows how to how to find them attacking spaces. So they're different in how they play. I think probably in some ways Ngakia suits Sarah a little bit more only if only if you're actually kind of letting the shackles off Sarah a little bit and you want to have that stability behind him because I do think Ngaki is a very good one-on-one defender and he, he covers ground extremely well uh, which Kiko does too but there's a bit more there's a little bit more uh, defensive intelligence to Ngaki's game I'd say um, and Kiko is a very forward-thinking fullback which is really helpful for us um, especially in games we have a lot of possession but I think in terms of um, being able to let Sar go you want to have that um, that Ngakia kind of mould of a player behind him so there's definitely got options which is good for us Who have you been most impressed with so far in this season for Watford? Who, who's really stuck out for you and, and you thought yeah he's you know he's, he's definitely put his head above the parapet uh, I'd say if you're talking about players 
that kind of look like they're playing a standard below. I think actually you kind of have to almost look at someone like Kiko Femenia for me. Um, he's been one of the few which I felt consistently has looked like he's he's kind of playing with a bit of ease to his game. He looks very comfortable. Um, and yeah, he just looks a little bit of a step ahead of, of some of the others around him. But there have been some impressive performances um, in, in other areas, I think, too. I think Ngak has done very well. Um, some of the centre-back plays have been pretty good. They've not been as tested at times as, as we expected, but I think there's been some some pretty solid performances in there. Uh, I mean, Kapu, when he's played, has, has looked kind of close to himself, which we all know how capable he is. But apart from that, I'd probably say uh, Ken Semmer actually has been a highlight yeah. um obviously not seeing him for a season and the time before we we had seen him he'd been very small and few and far between just short appearances but he's come back and he looks a real um real determined and well-rounded player uh he adds a lot to the team and i think we missed him a lot when he was gone so probably out of the two if i had to give if i had to say who's been the most consistently uh above average for our team i'd say it'd be for many and summer for me Ooh, and what about if there was a, a most improved title as well in terms of over the course of the season or, or from last season? I think from last season. On. I mean, if you've got one for over the course of the season as well, then chuck it out. Well, up. I think, I mean, if I had to say most, most improved, in some ways I'd say for many. Not that I thought for many had a bad season last season, but I just think he's, he's just shown his class at, at times. I think that's that's just a, just shows how, how good he can be. And he's he's been dominant for us in, attack, in an attacking sense at times too, which from a, from a wing back or a full back, it's, it's always, you know, extremely useful. And I think if we're moving forward, he's the sort of player we need to be, need to be looking at including into, into our play going both ways. And I think he's done a good job. So you could, you could give some credit too, if you're talking about just over the course of the season, I think Joe Pedro's come on some, he's maybe had, few flashes and he's gone off the boil a little bit but we've seen we've seen lots from him that we always wanted to see when he was involved in the squad last year we just didn't quite see the minutes so yeah I think there's there's lots of the young players coming through but also we've still got like quite a few to come back so it'd be interesting I mean I think our team could look quite quite different in how we operate once we have Hughes back available for regular minutes too so it kind of it's at a weird stage of the season where we're over a third of the way through but it kind of still feels like we're waiting to properly start we could still be be better so yeah that's probably where i'm thinking how about yourself um i think if i was going to give a most improved title i think dominguez keener for me has certainly stepped up from his sort of mm. like bit part role that he had last season probably because there were players in his position that were ahead of him and the likes of Pereira and delafeu are always going to probably get ahead of dominguez keener but he's i think he's He's really shown that he's he's uh, he's got talent and ability, and we kind of knew that when he played against teams in the FA Cup and, and the League Cup. But now he's playing regularly, ish in the league, and, and he's he's demonstrating some good quality. If I was to give the award for best player so far this season, I think I'd be with you and giving it to Kiko Firmino. I mean, I think I'd probably ear towards Firmino because he's playing on his unnatural side as well, which um, is always impressive when you can be just as good on on the side that you're not that happy with. Although, to be fair, uh, Semmer so, uh, uh, would um, would probably say, well, hang on a second, I don't usually play left wing back. I play more further up the field. So he's he's not playing in his, in his favourite position either. So both of them are really strong candidates for best player so far this season in a Watford shirt. Yeah, which is interesting. I mean, it's easy to generally kind of lean towards that, you know, the goal scorer or whatever you've got going on in, in times, especially if you've got like a standout top goal scorer. Obviously, we we have Jao Pedro who's on five, but we don't really have that kind of main threat. So things have been a little bit more spread out in terms of if you're talking about who's played well, it's kind of hard to nail down exactly because our good performances have generally come from, you know, combinations of, of good performances. So, yeah, I think I think it's it's probably fair to say those two stand out too, and I think Queen is a good shout as well. Um, he's, he's he looked promising when he's came, when he's come on, and the first game of the season against Middlesbrough, he was horrifically ineffective, and I think that was a little bit of a worry for some people. He just wasn't on his game at all, and he's kind of been slowly reintroduced, which I think has he's, he's shown some real positives for his game, especially that performance against Preston. It's no coincidence that our best offensive performance uh, had a had Dominguez Queener to thank for large portions of it. So I think if we can find a way to get him into the team consistency, consistently too, I think that will benefit us. But I think Ivic is probably using him rather well. He's giving him them small doses of, uh, of spells in the team, and that's probably good for him long-term as, as, as we move forward into the season. Yeah, you mentioned Jao Pedro there. He is our top goal scorer with five this season. He's joined 11th. But that means that 
there are 10 other clubs above Watford who have a player that scored more goals than him. Uh, and then leading the way right at the top in joint first is Adam Armstrong of Blackburn and Ivan Tony of Brentford. Do Watford, I mean, it's, it's almost like a, a question that I think I know the answer to here, but do Watford need somebody to really take hold of it a bit more and, and be, you know, a, a leading goal scorer that's got more than sort of five? I mean... Yeah, I know what you mean. Someone that's someone that's just a, a consistent threat in the box that you kind of feel like every game is a good chance they score. And yeah, I mean every team. Every, there's a history, the track record, the championship teams having having them players that are successful, and you're going to have high high scoring games often. So you want to have someone that can consistently do that for you. Um, I mean, yeah, that would be ideal. I think someone will have to do that to in a sense. But we are set up to spread goals around a little bit more too. We've got threat from from multiple areas and it also coincides with if you're gonna play a little bit more of a defensive system, if you're gonna if you're gonna sit back on, on the smaller leads and you're not gonna rack up those those totals. I mean someone like Blackburn, for example, they, they create a lot of chances and they can see the few, a fair few goals too, but they, they create a lot. So someone like Adam Armstrong is gonna get those opportunities and he's a very good forward, but if he was playing at Vicarage Road he might not be on the same number but still playing well so and and vice versa for Pedro Pedro could well have more goals in the system which is accommodating him more um so yeah I think we could see someone emerge and we could some see someone take up that mantle and be that that top goal scorer with 20 goals or so but when you look through the squad you kind of see five ten goals kind of spread around a few different players and I think that's okay for us as long as we're finding them ways to to be effective with with the players we've got out on the pitch at any given time. To be fair the top three Bournemouth, Norwich, Watford both Bournemouth and Norwich only have players on seven and six respectively so it's not it's not as though um, we need a player that uh, that, that just is a is it's just going to get a goal almost every other game, but it's it's um it's a nice feeling to have. For example, when I was watching Cardiff play Watford and Cardiff scored, I instantly knew that it was going to be Kiefer Moore that that had got the goal before I even really saw who it was that kicked it, just because he's been so prolific there, and, and it turned out that it was. And you know, yeah, it's just I don't know. We don't, I don't feel the same way about Pedro at the minute, and and I I want to. It's, I mean, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because you have that. I'm not saying Kiefer Moore is that that necessarily for Cardiff, but if you have that kind of solitary goal, that, that goal scorer who you kind of rely on for that, you really do miss them in, in occasions where you don't have them and you kind of focus your attack to that one player. So I'm never against spreading that offensive load around a little bit and, and kind of spreading that production. So yeah, Pedro doesn't give you them that, that feeling of that poacher in the box. It's going to be there and he's going to, rack up you know 20 goals in the season but if he can if he can score 10 12 goals and he can also be in areas that which help create uh, create goals for other players then that's absolutely fine by me too if it means will hughes finishes on four and you know chad has got two and kapuga you know if, if that happens and that's absolutely fine um i'd rather have that kind of spread amongst the team especially when we have got decent offensive talent in the squad um we may be a little thin in some areas but we we don't have that recognized goal scorer at all but I, I do think if we had to look for one player you are probably looking at Paricha just going back to the the instincts we, we discussed earlier and he gets in them positions I don't think our other strikers do that so you might be looking at him for that um but personally I don't think he's quite going to get there in terms of numbers it's a big call. So uh, if we're going to look at Watford strikers then, uh, and we're predicting now for the end of the season, which Watford striker is going to have the most goals? Or do you think it's going to come from, from midfield? If, if, I, if, if we're just talking about top goal scorer in general, I mean, I almost kind of think you're probably... I, I do think Troy Dini is going to be in the team. He's going to stay in the team. Um, if you're including penalties into that, which I know is a point of contention for uh, a lot of Watford fans, his his goal scoring <laughs> record and, and penalties. But yeah, if you include that in, then I think he, there's a good chance that Troy Dini will be the top scorer. But that's also because you're going to have a variation of um, of players that play with him in different systems. But th- there's a reason that Troy's been a constant in in uh, managers' teams, and he's been that kind of offensive constant. And that is because he. He does have a way to make himself useful outside of scoring goals, and goal scoring is a is an up and down thing for centre forwards and strikers. There aren't many that consistently score 
at the level you need to stay in the league. So, you know, Troy Deeney's got some ability to, to help us in in other areas and create goals for others. So I think he'll be in and around the team enough that he'll he'll get consistent minutes and he'll get a consistent amount of goals for us. But there's a chance that any one of these other players could break out too as well. So yeah, don't hold me to it. Okay, I won't hold you to it. Uh, yeah. Right, next up is Birmingham City. Uh, they are currently 16th. They've won four. They've won two on the road, actually. And... Uh, they're one of those teams that could be a bogey side for Watford this season. Yeah, I mean, I think with with recent performances away from home and against teams around that that part of the table, I think there's been I think there's a little bit of a worry that we're going to kind of go there and repeat that sort of Bristol City uh, performance where things just don't click and they're laboured and we don't really actually take control of the game. So, I mean, we're saying the same things. Really, fingers crossed, we go there and we have a bit more intent to our to our play and we look to kind of control things early on and and hopefully kind of pull them out of position and don't let them play the way they're going to they're going to attempt to because we know what they're going to try and do against us so yeah it could be it could end up being another one but I'm hoping this is a turning of the corner for us and we can kind of pick up that away win that we need that we haven't really got since Derby I believe was the last away win and yeah, we can push on and start to kind of take control of these away games a little quicker. It's not just the last away win, it's the only away win this season. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is very true. Yeah. Need to improve those stats. That wasn't the most convincing of performances either. That was one that came from a Jao Pedro thing. I mean, that was very close to being a nil-nil as well. So I think that is that is the key. Is if you even if you're analysing the performances over the result, then yeah, we we should have we should really actually have, have probably drawn that game. So I think just having a convincing performance, even if it was another draw, I think just going there and actually seeing seeing us kind of have some attacking intent, look to control the ball, be positive and, and play to our ability, that would be the most promising thing to come out of that one, I think. Is it a different mindset, do you think, for our players when they're playing away? Well, why, why, why do you think they're playing so differently away? I think there's probably, I, I do think they are asked to be, I, I get the impression they are asked to be a little more pragmatic um, in the sense of, of be con, like control the ball, but don't be too aggressive with it. So I think they are, I think maybe if it's just a little bit scared of, of, of the break, I think, um, I think if you're playing away from home against those sides, they, they do have a bit of a, a bit of a need to attack but we are we are also being considered the, the bigger team coming in so they're going to sit back deep and they're going to they're going to look to try and break in, in those wide areas and we just haven't we haven't really just been fast enough with our use of possession we we haven't we haven't tested the opposition enough and we've allowed them too much time to get back into their shape so i think naturally playing against that sort of team it kind of it kind of forces you into that that style of play and if you're not overly confident on getting that ball forwards then you you kind of take that safe option and i think we've kind of fallen into that trap a little bit so i think it's a it's a mentality issue um you can also as well point to the fact that players have their their routines they go through and you play away from home and that plays a big part i think we're not you're not kind of going through your normal routine. You've got to travel there and you're sleeping in a different bed and, you know, all these things play a part. But um, I think I think just so far, we haven't had that comfort of playing at home um, on the road, of course, and it's just affected us a little bit and taken us from, you know, what we can be at our best and just taking that 10, 15% off. And when you do that, we look a completely different side and, and, and that shows up in the results. Mm. Birmingham, incidentally, are one of those teams, a bit like Watford, that uh, haven't got uh, someone that's, really up there in the goal scoring stats in fact they, they've, they're, their highest goal scorer is on two but uh, they've got five of those goal scorers so they've spread it around a bit like Watford have but uh, is there anyone in particular that, that you're you think could be could be a threat against Watford uh, so I think if you're talking about individuals then Scott Hogan is definitely one to watch out for uh, he's one that we've we've come up against a couple of times before and we, we've seen what he has in terms of his, his pace and he's maybe not been quite the same since his injury but he's one of those that scored two goals this season so he's definitely something to look out for and they had the arrival of Alan Halovich in midfield, which was a, a bit of a big one, and this kind of had a lot of media attention. But uh, so they've got a little bit of creativity in there now too. But Artikarenka teams are kind of notorious for that uh, that industrial kind of industrious, uh, not so offensively focused football. Um, we saw a little bit of a of a different style when he was at Middlesbrough in that promotion season, but. Yeah, I think you're kind of looking around those kind of set pieces and, and if they can get the ball through from Torrell to Hogan, 
then they might have that that kind of chance of getting us in 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 the break in those sort of situations. But apart from that, there's none that really stands out as that main goal scorer. Kind of similar to how I'm sure they're looking at us in terms of having yeah. one focal point to try and control. So yeah, there's there's some similarity there for sure. Cool. And uh, do you think we'll see the four four two again from Watford? Uh, I, I mean, it's a good it's a good question. I'm I'm not entirely sure. I th- I feel like. At home, we had to kind of switch to that four four two again because we needed to. We had to attack in that game. I think Ivic knew that. I think we had to have a response when it comes to going away again. There's just that. There's less need to pick up the three. You can be a little bit more pragmatic. I think Ivic feels that way anyway. Um, so I, I, I think it's fifty fifty for me. I would go with the four four two just based on the fact that we've we've been significantly better there. But there is also the solidity you get from that three at the back. Even though I'm personally not convinced that we are much more solid than that three, we do seem to be comfortable playing it in situations where we need to be solid. So I think personally I'm leaning towards us actually playing the three at the back again in terms of what we'll see. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but that's probably the way I think Ivic will go. Even if it does mean including a few a few more players that we'd like in the C-backs, such as Will Hughes or, or Kapu. Um, and maybe maybe we'll fare better with, with a three at the back away from home with the inclusion of Semmer, which we didn't have last time against Bristol and and uh, Hughes in there or Kapu and yeah you've, you've got some other options maybe even Stupid Pritchier and, and Troy Deeney up front who might feel confident enough that we could get the job done uh, in that setup. And if you were to predict the score another nil-nil do you think? Depends if I'm on the podcast and not honestly but um, <laughs> I'd probably go for a 2-1 Watford I think I think it'll be the one. I think it'll be the one where uh, we kick on. Troy Deeney's going to score, and you know how uh, much he's going to want to score at Birmingham. Yeah, I think I think I'm, I'm feeling I'm feeling strangely confident about this one, which is generally concerning. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I think from the games that we've seen recently, I, I do think enough lessons will be taken away from recent performances. Even if we we do see us revert back to three at the back, I think there will be. There will be precautions taken from Ivic to not make it too negative, and that does give me some hope. Good stuff. That's Jordan Weimer there, football analyst and Watford fan, and you can follow him on Twitter for, as always, quality content at Jordan Weimer. Right, next up, we'll be chatting to Birmingham City fan and podcaster Kieran Bales. Oh, no. Oh, Mitch, you've sliced that one. Oh, oh. Man, that's just getting embarrassing now. Right, that's it. I'm sorting this out. Hello? Is that Nick Pinnett's Golf Academy? Can you fit me in for a few lessons, please? Oh, terrific. Yes. Blimey, what a shot. What in the world has happened to your game? If your game could do with some improving, get in touch with Nick Pinnock's Golf Academy, based in Panshanger. Nick is a PGA qualified coach who can analyse your game with the latest technology and coach you to beating your mates in no time. For more details, Google Nick Pinnock's Golf Academy. attentions to the visitors this Saturday Watford are away this time playing against Birmingham City and to chat about the Blues it's Birmingham City podcaster from the Blues Focus pod Kieran Bales Kieran welcome to the show uh so how has the season been so far for you a bit of a mixed bag really um obviously we came into the season not really knowing what to expect under Karanka a lot of new players through the door again um I think a lot of the Blues fans kind of expected to for Karanka to hit the ground running straight away with um obviously with his reputation in the championship with Middlesbrough especially. Mm. Um but yeah it's it's been a bit up and down, um a bit of a slow start. But I think after Saturday's result against Bristol, I think it kind of gives us a, a solid platform to build on going forward now. Yeah, finished twentieth last season, probably not the best. So Iota Karanka has been brought in uh thirty first of July this season and I suppose hoping him to give you a bit of a shake-up, but sitting 16th so far in the campaign, four wins all season, has he has he filled the brief for you yet? It, it's difficult to say, and I, and I want to say, I, I want to 
say cautiously, you know, it's still early days. I think um, he was bought in with the, the idea of a two or three year um, plan, if you will, really. And I think after the, the disappointment of, of last season, the way it kind of panned out, um, it was more steady in the ship this year and, and, and slow progress, which is what I think we are seeing so far in terms of results. It's not always been the easiest football to watch so far by any means, but um, just a couple of performances we can pick and compare is Swansea away, where we, we picked up a point this season and they absolutely annihilated us under Pep Clotet. Um Huddersfield <clears throat> this season at home, where we picked up three points, whereas I think last season it was 3-0. Um, post lockdown in the same ground so um, yeah we are seeing steady progress um, like I say I think a lot of Blues fans are kind of expected um, too much too soon in a sense yeah a, a bit like Watford in terms of your, your goal scoring in that you haven't really managed to cement a, a key goal scorer yet you've sort of spread the goals around the team five players sitting on on two goals and, and Watford are kind of looking for, for a talisman to, to, to emerge as well are you are you okay with spreading the goals around, or would you would you like someone who's more of the you know the the guy that's packing them in? I think it's obviously in this league, especially you see that every team that kind of heads up to the top top six, especially, always have that one player that stands out as a, as an out and out goal scorer. Um, but obviously, it, it, at the same time, it's good to have um, a number of different players chipping in. You know, it shows that the teams all working mm. towards a, a collective um, goal. But yeah, I think we do lack that one player up top who kind of notches 15, 20 goals a season and, and can make the difference in, in close games, um, especially the amount of draws we've had. Um, when you think we could have converted, if we just converted one of our chances, um, then, you know, it makes the, of the world a difference in this league. What's the transfer business been like? Did you manage to get in what you wanted to as fans? I think... For the most part, again, as as we've just literally just said, the one thing we were lacking was a striker. Really, I think we we kind of expected more in that department, and all we really done was brought back Scott Hogan um, on a permanent deal, which, which isn't a knock on on Hogan. You know, he's he's a good player at Championship level. Yeah, definitely. But, it, it, but I think we we definitely needed a, a real goal threat that like I said, can make the difference. That's the one thing lacking. But other than that, there was a couple of nice surprises. San Jose coming in on a, on a free deal was one that we didn't really expect. Um, and yeah, it just really kind of gave the squad a bit more bit more quality and depth, really. Whereas last season, we was kind of relying on, on a couple of youngsters and a couple of players that couldn't really cut it at, at championship level. So we have seen a difference in that side of things so far how do they play Kieran what's their what's their style this season it's been very defensive to be honest at the minute um like I say we kind of you kind of knew when he came in what Karanka's reputation was like him you know he was built from the back with Middlesbrough kept a, a lot of clean sheets mm. and it was kind of one and one nils or, or two nil wins it was never really a flowing attacking style of play which is what we're seeing at the minute really it's very compact it's about managing the game defensively and, and limiting the opposition's chances and then trying to pinch one on the break or, or from a set piece which we seem to be um, quite dangerous from again this year mm. but a, a lot of the fans are getting quite frustrated with it like I said at the start it's it's been very difficult to watch at times but at the end of the day if it picks up the results and it gets us away from that that bottom three uh, and saves us looking over our shoulder on the last day then I think the majority of the fans would have took that at the start of the season Yeah I suppose before the season minimum expectations was staying up and so far you're on course for that Yeah especially the last I think it's last four, five or six years we've survived relegation three or four times on the final day and it that shouldn't be happening to a club of our our size. I'm not saying we should be at the top um, season in, season out, absolutely destroying teams. But I think when you look at some of the teams that come up from League One, for example, no disrespect to to Wickham or Rotherham and Luton last season, we shouldn't be scraping um, with them, scrapping away with them on the last day. It, It shouldn't be happening. So I think 
like I said, this season we'd be happy with steady progress. I think um, upper bottom half of the table, 12th to 16th, I'd, I'd be quite happy to sell for that this season if it means that next season we can build on that again. There's a lot of links between Watford and, and, and Birmingham, particularly in, in players that we've we've both had. And I see that your uh, your pod recently talked to Paul Robinson, who's, who's a bit of a legend for both clubs. How was how was he to talk to? It, he was by far the best one we've spoke to so far. I think we've done four, three or four now um, on on the podcast. I think yeah, he was he was very down to earth, very um, easy to talk to, quite open in his conversations. Obviously didn't really touch too much on Watford, but you could tell he had a, a love and a respect for the club, yeah. um, as he does with, with Birmingham as well. Um, you know, he, he spoke very highly of, of both clubs. Um, but yeah, he's a really, really nice bloke. But you could see when you spoke to him, the passion he had, and, and obviously that um, was clearly relevant, um, relevant on the pitch as well. You could see he played with his heart on his sleeve. Yeah, he played for years, didn't he? You know, I mean, every year you kept thinking, is he going to retire? But no, he just kept going on. <laughs> we did think that at Birmingham at one point. I'm, I'm amazed he got, it lasted eight years at the club every season. You know, we'd go into it and fans would say, you know, we need to replace him. It'll be his last year. And he just kept kept going, which is, you know, fair play to him. He obviously kept himself fit and, and working hard on the training pitch. That's what you want from a player, isn't it? Yeah, testament to how good he was. And he was playing left back at least for, for, for Watford, I think, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's the position that you need to have some fitness for. But was it was he was he more central based when he was at Birmingham? Or? He he ended up that way. Yeah, he came in originally. I think he was kind of a, as a a stopgap at left back. Really, he came in on a one month contract, and it, we just conceded um, eight goals to to Bournemouth. Um, so obviously, the defence needed some work, and I think he was more bought in as a as a an experienced head that could kind of guide the players that we had. Um, and like I say, he ended up as a mainstay as at centre back for a good four or five years. Yeah. Um, and like I say, he was a player of the season, one of the years, um, vote for the fans and I believe by the players as well. So, you know, he, he really earned the, the respect and admiration of fans and players in, in his time here as well. And of course, another player that we have a link between is, is Troy Deeney, who is, of course, <laughs> a big blue nose. He's got that tattoo as well. What do what Birmingham fans think of Deeney? Uh, we, I mean, obviously he's never played for the club, but he is loved purely for the fact that he loves scoring and winding up the Villa fans. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's perfect, isn't it, really? Um, every season you see it with, with Blues fans and everyone gets excited. Oh, Dean, he might be on the move. He could come to Blues on loan. Uh, obviously, it's a pipe dream. I don't think he might. I'm pretty sure he said himself he'd never play for Birmingham because the pressure of playing for his um Boyhood club would be too, you know, he didn't, wouldn't want to disappoint the fans. He knows what we expect. Oh, I'm pretty sure he'd come out in an interview and said he, he, he would, he'd have to think really hard about it. I'm pretty sure he says he knows what the fans expect, you see, of the players. He, he's there, he does it himself, you know, he's been down to the Blues before. Um, I think he wouldn't want that pressure on his shoulders. Not that he couldn't handle it, you know, but he, he obviously winds up every fan base and uh, <laughs> yep. he's it. <laughs> he's one that he's one that you love uh, uh, when you're a, when you're a fan of Watford, and then when you're another fan, you sort of love to hate him. That's the kind of I, yeah. I find him he's a very interesting character as well. I mean, I watched him during at the start of lockdown. He'd done a couple of interviews on Sky, and um, he'd done a podcast with with Eddie Hearn talking about you know basically his opinions on the whole return to football about the testing and a very honest and open. And uh, I don't I. I not just as a because he's a Birmingham fan. I, I like him as a as a person, as a player. Because it's not often that you get players that speak their mind. You know, they're so media trained nowadays, and and try and keep things, you know, uh, politically correct, if you will, uh, in fear of the backlash of opposition fans and getting some stick. But he just says what he thinks. You know, if you don't like it, that's that's your your problem. He's not going to pander to your needs, really. So Paul Robinson's one that uh, was a Watford player that definitely worked out at Birmingham. Troy Deeney hasn't played for Birmingham, but I'm sure he would work out there if he ever got the opportunity. One that didn't work out, though, uh, you might remember this guy, Diego Fabrini. Yeah, very... We were talking about him on the, the podcast, um, our podcast recently as well. We were saying how he came in on, on loan. I was trying to figure out how he actually ended up with an Italy cap. That's interesting. Um <laughs> 
Yeah, he came in on loan, and we all thought he was, you know, the the second coming of Christ at the time. He was he was brilliant for us for the second half of the season we had him, um, and then when he came back permanently, I'm pretty sure it was about um, at the January of the following season. He came back for about one and a half million pounds, and it just didn't work out. He spent, I think, probably the majority of the time he played rolling around on the floor. Mm. Um, and, and at the time we was we was again it was a, a season where we struggled towards the, the bottom half of the in the bottom half of the table and he just didn't have the the right work ethic. I don't think really there wasn't much tracking back, there wasn't much effort to to really help the team. He was just kind of wandering around expecting the ball when we're broken. And obviously when you're struggling you need all eleven players putting a shift in for a start off. Yeah. Bags of potential though. Yeah, definitely seen that way. You know, like I say, he came with the, um, like I say, he had the Italy cap. Is he, is he playing for yourself? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yourselves? He played for us. Um, and then he came in with that reputation of being one of those that was on the um, periphery of getting in the Italy squad um, a season or two before that. And obviously he had that reputation of being a, a, a very good creative player in the championship. And like I say, for first few months he was he was brilliant and then when we signed him permanently it just never seemed to really work out for us it's a shame obviously it's 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 never nice to see a player that could have been anything kind of um struggle you you like to see them fulfill their potential but Mm. one of those things i suppose yeah never quite made it at birmingham never really quite made it at watford either he's one of those that had skill but just like you say just he spent a lot of time on the floor um, moving on then and, and coming up to this game, Watford versus Birmingham, or rather Birmingham versus Watford. It's going to be obviously in Birmingham, but still no fans allowed to go to the game yet. Uh, no, and it's difficult for, uh, I mean, especially if you look at our results that we've picked up over the lockdown period since football returned. Um, a majority of our better results and better performances have been when we've been on the road. And obviously... I know fans have only just started coming back. Um, and I think tonight at Reading is our first game back in front of some fans. Um, mm-hmm. But we really do miss that that atmosphere and that connection with the fans. And I think a lot of teams do as well. You know, they really do give you that extra 10% and it can be the difference in games, especially when, you know, it's, it's nil-nil. It's a bit of a slow game. No one seems to really be up for it. Um, that the fans can really give the players a, a boost, but obviously touch wood over the next few weeks we can we can all start to see some fans in again. Do you think it's unfair that some teams are allowed to have fans and, and others aren't? I mean, it, I mean, you could say it's giving you know up some teams an advantage. Yeah, I see. I see. I do see both sides of it. I understand. Obviously, the managers, especially um, some saying that. It, everyone should be allowed them or no one should be allowed them. I do get that aspect of it. Like you say, especially, you see clubs like Wickham have their fans back and, and they're not the biggest ground anyway. So when you've got 2,000 fans in there, that that can really boost the players. And, and when it's such a small ground, so enclosed, it can really get on top of the players, I think, the atmosphere. Whereas, obviously, if you looked and say, um, Tottenham, Tottenham against Arsenal at the weekend, uh, yeah, it's a huge game in North London derby, but yeah. two thousand fans in a fifty-two to fifty-four thousand seat stadium doesn't really have the same effect. So it, it, you know, it's. I think it's just good that we're on the on the right track to getting fans back in overall. Really, you know, it, it took long enough now. They'd had long enough to to work something out, and I think it was about time that that fans started to get back in and seeing the action live. Did Birmingham, like many clubs, help out the local community during during the, the height of COVID? We've done a lot. We do a lot for the community anyway. We've beforehand, you know, we've, we've helping out, going around to the children's hospitals and, and what have you. And obviously, we've got Jeff Horsfield, one of our former players, has, has got his own charity. He helps out the homeless, feeding them, you know, giving them, um, you know, sleeping bags, etc. etc. So, and then, like I say, obviously, throughout COVID, the club has done a lot in helping the local communities with whether it's food or like say Jeff, through Jeff Horsfield with the helping the homeless and, and the needy, especially in the and now coming up to winter that one will be even more vital. Um but yeah the club is a really, really um hands on 
with the local community and, and long may that continue. Good stuff. Uh, have you had a, much of a chance to see Watford this season and any highlights shows or have you, have you, what have you made of them really? I did. I've watched a couple of games. Um, one of them that stands out to me was the, I think it was one all draw at Wickham away, mm. um, which uh, I must admit you, um, I had you on my accumulator that night and you was the only team that let me down. So oh, thanks for that. Sorry, um, <laughs> but yeah, um, I, I think you've been a real, I struggled to put my finger quite on, on exactly what's going on. Some games I watched you and you look, you look really good. I think you're just struggling to kind of find that the right attacking lineup. Really, I think he struggled to kind of pin down his favoured options up there. I think Ishmael Assar hasn't really been utilised the way he should have been at the start of the season. I don't think he was a central player. He, he definitely belongs out on that right hand side. Yeah, um, and Troy Deeney, Troy Deeney getting back to full fitness and being a focal point up there is definitely. Um, will help you in the long run as well, especially in this league. He knows his way around it and he's a very experienced player. I think he just needs that time now. He needs to find his, a bit like us, he needs to find his best 11 and he needs to, to really stick to it. Are those the players that you're worried about, Dini and, and Saar? Or is there any... Saar, definitely. Yeah. I, I really like Ishmael Saar. I'm amazed he didn't end up back in the Premier League at the start of this season, to be honest, I think, but no one really wanted to stump up the, the asking price, did they? Mm. Um, but I really do like Sar. I think he's a, he's a wonderful talent. Um, Dini, I mean, anyone who's a Blues fan always seems to score against us. I mean, I remember Craig Davis, one of the old strikers for Barnsley, I'm pretty sure he scored four or five at our place. And then you never seen of, seen of him again for months on end until he played us back at Oakwell and scored again. So, I am worried about Dina, but you've got that Premier League quality side still, um, and it's going to be obviously a really tricky game. Um, you look at your midfield, Will Hughes, a brilliant player, I think, cleverly still there. In your defence, you've got Ben Foster and goal, who, who Blues fans know well, yeah. uh, man of the match in the Carling Cup final. Um, so, you know, yeah, it's, it's a very, very strong squad. Um, Sar definitely, I'll pinpoint him as the, the main worry for us as much as they love Dini would they uh, are they are they not big fans of Foss just because of who he's previously played for well I think when West Brom well, when West Brom sorry when Watford came down and we was looking for a new keeper in the summer and again people the same as Dini we always speculate he was a fan favourite Foster was when he was at the club um, and I don't think just because you know he went to whoever he's played for in the past West Brom as well uh, that doesn't wouldn't concern us as such. I think you know he was loved by the by the fans, and he, he did have a, a love for the club that you could tell when he played for us. So obviously it's a pipe dream. Obviously he's on big money, I'd imagine as well. So you know, I don't think it is ever a realistic thing. It's just people put two and two together, don't they? A Villa, the big rivals. If you if you had to pick one, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, I personally don't actually mind the likes of West Brom and, and Coventry as well. I know Coventry are our, our tenants, but... <laughs> That's true, um, actually. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, what's that like? I mean, I suppose it's difficult to say what's that like because you're not back in the stadium yet, but it must be a bit odd sometimes watching watching highlights and, and seeing Coventry playing. playing yeah, I mean, play. I was watching Soccer Saturday and they went to, I think Coventry played, was it Rotherham at the weekend? And every time Jeff Stelling says, now to St Andrews, my ears perk up and I think, oh God, what's going on in our game? We weren't even playing at home. So, you know, it's, it's, it is strange, but, uh, you know, they're in a mess, aren't they, Coventry, you know, overall. So it is what it is, I suppose, for the yeah. time being. But yeah, definitely Villa are the, the biggest rivals. Only other side that I dislike as much, or just almost as much as probably Wolves, Oh yeah. To be honest, yeah, the, we never seem to to get on with Wolves either. I don't know what it is with West Brom that we kind of it's more like a friendly rivalry rather than anything serious. But every time we play Wolves and Villa, there always seems to be trouble. Okay, and I suppose Solly Hall is too uh, far down the pyramid to really really bother you. Yeah, and um, we we do have a lot of connections with with Solly or Moors in terms of players. A bit like uh, you know this, this season they've got. Um, Stephen Gleeson, who played in midfield for us a couple of years back. Um, Darren Carter's there, who scored our winning goal when we got promoted. 
in the, in the penalty shootout in 2002-2003. Um, you know, there is club connections there. And like I say, I don't think, unless there's a, a long shot in the FA Cup, I don't know if we'll be facing them anytime soon to have to worry about them personally. But yeah, I'll leave that until that happens, I suppose. <laughs> well, it'd be a nice one, wouldn't it? Uh, okay, then, uh, Kieran, coming up to the last question, it's uh, score prediction time. What do you what do you reckon the the, the score is going to be? I'd love to say, blind optimism would tell me I think we could nick it one nil, uh, but I think. Realistically, I'd be I'd take a point. I'd, I'd yeah. happily take a point. Yeah, recently relegated, like I say, still got a very strong squad. A couple of um, dangerous players that could really hurt us, like I say, Sar and yeah, I, I think I'd take a point. I'll, I'll, I'll stick my neck on the line and I'll say one-one. Fair enough. I mean, that's not a bad uh, a bad one to go for either, uh, accumulator-wise, because uh, a lot of Watford's draws this season have come away. They're they're a bit of a draw specialist away at the minute. That's uh, well, that's Kieran from the Blues Focus podcast, and you can follow what they do at Blues Focus Pod. Well, thanks to Kieran for joining us, and of course Jordan earlier on in the show. That's it for today's episode, but we'll be back again after the Birmingham City game to hopefully chat about Watford getting another three points before the international break. So from me, Matt Meziano, we'll see you next time.